Hi, and welcome to the 88th version of Influence Weekly. This is the Talking Points podcast. This week, we have Influencer DB kind of going through the newsletter and pointing out any interesting takeaways or just kind of having an internal dialogue about what happened in the newsletter this week and kind of how it affects the industry. My name is Brian Ritz. I am the marketing manager and I'm here with Jonathan Shanti, who is a former SVP of InfluencerDB, current advisor, and he's now, I guess, the SVP at Social Standard. He's been in the industry for about 10 years or so. Before InfluencerDB, he was at Hyperbrands, and before that, he was at Platinum Rye and has just been in the entertainment space for a while. So thought he'd provide a lot of good clarity on some of the articles we saw in this week's edition. Jonathan? Hello. Thank you for having me, Brian. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, I guess before we get started, is there anything you want to say up top? We're going to probably just go through the newsletter and just have a few quick thoughts on every article like we do every week. And then if you want to kind of before that say anything, please feel free. No, I mean, I, I think there's a there's a huge need for Influence Weekly. I think that in today's market where there's an over-proliferation of everything, that content, unfortunately, um, is being created that can be misleading or can be used or manipulated in a way that um, you know, obscures the judgment of brands and marketers out there. So it's great to see a publication such as this really consolidating things that are credible uh, and informative to the industry today. Yeah, I think when you have a lot of marketers doing content marketing, it kind of dilutes what is accurate. So when you have a third party like Influence Weekly kind of putting everything together, it really does give us a better, broader understanding of what's happening in the industry. To unfortunately quote uh, our famous president, there's a lot of fake news out there. Um, So it's important that we all get educated and understand what we're reading because sometimes an article may be valuable in terms of certain aspects of it, but doesn't mean that the opinion in it is actually accurate. Right, or if the incentive behind creating it is to generate certain metrics, then the reader is reading it with a different set of eyes than the writer wrote it with. I always like to quote, and Brian, you know I'm a big fan of him, uh, Bernie Brillstein, it's all lies and that's the truth, and if you approach everything with a grain of salt, you can really look for the value in everything you're reading. Yeah, so with that cynical intro, let's get started. This one- Let's uh, do it. Yeah, so we're looking at the first article here. It's clean fluencers are famous for cleaning their homes. This was published in, I want to say, The Atlantic. And it, it basically is about a bunch of kind of a new category of influencers that's emerging, which is people who, as the title suggests, are cleaning their homes and people are watching these influencers do that. What do you take away from this? I love it. You know, for many years, if you, putting my platinum right hat back on, we used to work on Procter & Gamble, you know, a lot of their products out there, how do you find an ambassador for Febreze or Clorox or or brands that are focused on, um, you know, cleaning? so to speak, and keeping your home tidy and organized. I think that this emergence of a vertical of content is needed, and I think it's amazing to see where free content, interest, and opportunity align and emerge a whole other vertical of people who can advise on something they feel passionate about. That, and then also, I think from a consumer standpoint, it's refreshing to see No pun intended. Yeah, refreshing. (laughs) I did actually intend that. (laughs) To see that there are people out there who are kind of projecting a relatable aura or a relatable brand rather than maybe uh, going and taking pictures at the beach, which of course people do that everywhere. But when you see it on Instagram, it's the highlight reel of it, not the regular life. So seeing something more regular seems to be like a good response to that FOMO. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's just the trend you're starting to see now in general in social uh, in, or, you know, 
digital media is just things becoming more practical again. A lot of these platforms that were on early on, it was all about the, the image. But I think what people are really gravitating more towards now more than ever, which makes complete sense, is practicality, association, you know, realistic content for people who have real interests, um, other than just what kind of boat I'm on on the Amalfi Coast. So it's great to see it. It's definitely needed. Um, and I, it'd be, it's going to be interesting to see how this vertical as well as you know the inspiration for other verticals continue to emerge yeah and i I think people do obviously still take uh, or are influenced by people out there for what vacation they're going on but if you see someone who's cleaning a home you're more likely to very quickly like oh i'll get some lysol i need to clean my home too yeah well i mean there's so many arms there i mean there's also cleaning products that are great for children you know being a dad something we have to consider all the time like what are we using on these services what are we using to clean her you know my daughter's uh, toys and things of that nature um, if you have a pet what works best different certain type of fabric of couch or carpet or or linens or, or you know on and on and on and on there could be a, a solution for each one or, or one that speaks to all of it so I think the more informed we are um, and also in the economy that we are today about organic and, and natural and making sure we're not using anything that's harmful I think that's it's really important definitely and I guess we'll, we could probably talk about this for a while, but we'll kind of go through because, again, the point of a newsletter is to break everything down for someone who doesn't have time to read everything. So we'll go through to the next one, which is what makes a high-performing story according to Instagram. You know, um, if you kind of look at some of these things, it's like every so often there's a new article that pops up about, you know, how to get the best engagement, how to get the best story views, blah, blah, blah. It's very redundant to me um, in many cases. The reality of it is is... There's a few principles that you just need to continue to, to stand by, which is one, what is authentic and, and organic for me? You know, two, what is the message I'm trying to create? And three, what is my audience engaging with me on? That's what's going to always effectively help you. I won't get caught up in the algorithms and what drives this and what drives that. Just put out content, put out content consistently. Because the algorithms are always going to change. Yeah, and to be caught up on that doesn't really make much of a difference. Yeah, maybe you can spike something here or there, sure, but... If you're consistently putting out content that is consistently getting you engagement or, or views from an audience that is following you for a reason, then that's what you should just continue to live by and not get so worried about how to create more, do more, X, Y, and Z. Just be authentic to you and put out content consistently. That checks out. I don't have too much more to add to that. I think it's pretty clear that stories on Instagram have overtaken general posts as far as engagement goes. We put out a report about that, but regardless, it's just something that has been pretty common for at least the last couple of years that we've noticed. And it's good that people are kind of focusing their energy there. Absolutely. Where people are consuming it. Next one, there's an article about Dallas influencers explain what and whom they're influencing. I don't know how much you have to say on that. Me being from Dallas, a, a few of the people in there I knew, one I'm friends with, it's good to see them getting highlighted. They're not not really too much more beyond just you know hearing from influencers themselves why they're doing what they're doing, and it's they're seeing instant feedback in real time of people who they're influencing, people who want to be inspired. Which goes back to that clean influencers post, which is just that people are gravitating toward people who inspire them. I, I think this is going to be a growing trend um, because I know for many, 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 many years it's been um, a really big need is really understanding and segmenting influence on a on a metropolitan and uh, you know a city by city basis you know not only are you influencing locally but maybe a d- two degrees away from local it's also going to be interesting to see how facebook with their influencer marketing services helps kind of 
solve some of these segmented needs for brands and for marketers out there to deploy a message to certain local places. I mean, for me, I've always said that influencer marketing will truly be at scale when mom and pop businesses are able to understand who are their local influencers that can help drive awareness to their stores or to their goods and services. And I think that looking at articles like this, it's going to be interesting to see where we are two, three years from now and how you can truly segment and identify local talent or local creators that can help raise awareness on for businesses. Those just have to be the big guys out there, but everyone can take advantage of it. Yeah, so something not just maybe geographical, but also based off of interest or expertise or exactly. just... Tons of different filters. I mean, I'm sure if you were to look at Dallas, right, I'm sure there's thousands of people out there who own pets, who care about their pets, care about the lifestyle of their pets in terms of what they're eating and how they're exercising and treating them well. Got to imagine there's a ton of people out there who they have day-to-day jobs, but this is a common theme that's important to them. They can influence each other. They can influence their community. They can raise awareness about great services or products or things that are in locally available. You know, really small example, but something that if you look at the bigger picture, has a lot of legs to it. Much like a a dog might have a lot of legs. legs. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Back when I was in Dallas, way, way in my youth, I worked at a gourmet pet supply store. And there are many people who would have uh, listened to a pet supplies influencer for their, for their purchasing needs because they would listen to a 16-year-old. So if they were someone who, with actual expertise, they probably would have jumped at it. And that's the same as anywhere. And there's so many options out there today. You know, very different from how it used to be. Yep. Uh, so I guess next one is Instagram is hiring a meme liaison. This is interesting to me because, you know... I remember very early on, years ago, uh, we used to work with a lot of themed account, not only creators, you know, this is how like, you know, the fuck Jerry's of the world became massive. Yeah, the the curators. Yeah, but we used to also work with a lot of like accounts who would simply just curate content from around the web as a hub, content they haven't created, but just redistributed to drive a massive amount of engagement awareness to apps or products or things we're working with. So it's, it's interesting to see that Instagram now is really uh, cracking the whip, so to speak, on these meme aggregators and generators, so to speak. But I think it's also because they probably have some sort of intention of bringing some of these things more in-house and having more control over it. That makes sense. You know, why else would they... First, it's funny. It's like first they uh, remove a ton of accounts unbeknownst as to why they did that all of a sudden now. And now they're saying they're bringing in a meme liaison. You know, it just sounds like more control over areas and influencer marketing that are going to be valuable in the long run well yeah and you look at facebook what like five ten years ago and they had the the news feed like what's happening in the news they're curating it themselves in-house too because it helps them one kind of define and get their message out but two keep people engaged in the news feed so anything they can do in-house to keep people engaged the more they'll want to absolutely but i was also going to add too that we had a i think we both collaborated on this, but we had a best brands report that Influencer DB puts out every year. And this most recent year, there were, I want to say seven of the top 20 were meme or curator accounts as opposed to one the year before. So our data is showing too that this is something that is increasingly demanded by consumers out there. And obviously Instagram sees that too. I mean, I would say that on average, um, between my friends and I, we probably share three to four memes a week of things we see from... Uh, channels that are aggregators you know and also the way i look at it this way is like there's no difference between a meme account that's curating content versus a bar stool is also curating real content and distributing it as well you know it's it's an aggregation it's a one-stop shop to find 
memes and uh, content all related to things that you are interested in, whether it's humor or sports or, you know, uh, pranks, you name it, it, it makes sense. Like, why follow tons of accounts when I can follow a few accounts that kind of give me a consolidated look at all the things that I think are interesting to me? Yeah, I think that's a super interesting topic. And I was going to say that kind of there's two things that I want to go from here. One being that's very similar to what kind of Talking Influence is doing. You know, we're not yeah. we're not talking about the journalists who wrote the article. We're talking about kind of the articles and the subjects at mass. But how do you feel about maybe like if there are influencers who have like there you hear about people maybe not getting their content stolen, but if you're able to monetize a meme account uh, based off of the creation of what other people did, how does that kind of affect the general feeling toward creating content at all? That's a great point. I mean, a lot of people got famous off of that, right? Um, and, and I mean, look at the fuck Jerry, like they created a lot of their own stuff, but they also aggregated, aggregated a lot of stuff that content that's out there and now they have their own agency. Um, so, you know, that's a really interesting statement. My opinion is this, is it's, you know, if it's public, it's public. And if you're going to put it out there, it's out there. If people want to aggregate it and repost it and share it. They care, you know, don't put anything out there that you don't feel someone's going to, you know, redistribute and share it and you're not going to get credit for it, so to speak, like you should get credit for it, but if it's public, it's public, you know, same reason if you write a blog post, same thing if you put an article out there, public content's public content. Yeah, it's like you need to figure out how, you need to know how to monetize it when you create it, because if you don't, someone else will. Yeah, I mean, there's the obvious there, right? Obviously, brand integrations or opportunities in marketing, but, you know, sometimes you just need to create things that are fun and free to get the awareness that you could eventually can't monetize. That makes sense. Simple stuff, man, simple stuff. Yeah, it's... Sometimes it feels like rocket science, but most of the time... No, I think that's the thing. It's, um, you know, in any industry that's new and emerging, a lot of people out there like to overcomplicate how simple it actually is when you really have the right tools and the right understanding of how to approach it. It's only complicated if you don't understand it, but marketing is has, has been happening for centuries. It's not nothing that's changed. Word of mouth is word of mouth, you know. Uh, influencer marketing is catalyst for word of mouth, but content is always king and strategies are king and smart people who are implementing, creating, and executing these strategies are, are people who always continually do well. Yeah, so it's not the rules that change, it's the tools that change. Exactly, exactly. I mean, the, you look at working with a Kim Kardashian versus a bunch of micro-influencers, the same difference of you know, buying an ad during the Super Bowl versus buying ads in your local news. There's a, there's a, you know, a strategy and reason for anything and everything. There's no reason why you can't use someone. It just about doesn't make sense to do it. And that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> um, so I guess we've only we've got a few more in here, but we're kind of coming up on the time limit. There are two case studies: one with Google, one with Diet Coke, and then kind of an interesting people section. Is there anything in here that? kind of sticks out to you. Yeah, I thought the Diet Coke strategy was really cool because what it was, was not only was it a cool strategy to work with great creators, but it was also a strategy that uh, allowed marketing to occur around the strategy, which reminds me a lot of what we used to do back in the day when we used to submit commercials to some of the brands we were working with to the NFL to be approved for the Super Bowl, but we knew they were never going to be submitted, never approved, excuse me, and we would wait for that letter to come back from the NFL saying, sorry, this commercial or this idea was not approved for the Super Bowl, we would take that statement and we would leverage that in marketing. You know, here here's one of the best, you know, commercials you're not gonna see at the Super Bowl. So I think that this was really smart, it was a great strategy, but it also created for a lot of, you know, uh, additional legs of marketing to happen around what they actually did. One that stood out to me was there was kind of an influencer that dropped a clothing line, but with 11 hours to buy it after that it wasn't available anymore which I don't know how you know that's not that special you hear about these kind of drops all the time but it's 
one of the kind of stories that's been picked up in the influencer space was the person with two point what three million followers that only sold thirty six t shirts. Yeah, which it's uh, just you know different ways to kind of spur those sale those sales. Well, I mean, uh, sales needs to be a long term strategy. I mean, if unless you're someone who's got insane engagement, where people are literally just salivating for whatever you want to release next. You know, it's always got to be a long-term strategy. I think brands like, you know, Daniel Wellington, uh, obviously, have been doing that well for a very long time. Uh, Revolve so, as well. Uh, Fashion Nova. I mean, it, it's a long game. It's not a short game. Now, if you can create some great buzz and you can get some great sales, you know, go for it. But I would never look at this as a cookie-cutter strategy to implement for everyone and anyone. I, I think also, uh, you know, there's a lot of other interesting notable people in here. But one, one, one company that I'm really impressed with is just also like Tribe. Um, how they literally kind of touched down in uh, the states recently and have been building a lot of momentum. It's interesting to see how they're going to continue to evolve and, uh, and find their place in the ecosystem where they're heavily focused on content. I think that's an important aspect, but it's going to be interesting to see where that goes because it can't just be all about content. But really impressed with the momentum and the awareness they've been building. I think also having Keith Weed come in and be an investor also really help solidify them and bring them some more credibility. But it's going to be cool to see what that company does in the long run. Yeah, they have an interesting model. They basically do more of a UGC style with influencers than your typical matchmaking or influencer DB has the data analytics kind of approach. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, content is king. You know, getting a lot of content at scale is tough. So they can uh, they can figure out a way to really execute that strategically in the long run. That's, a, that's an amazing opportunity. I, I've gone through my what piques my interest in the newsletter. I don't know if there's anything else for you. No, I mean, I think this is a really great roundup. Those are the things that really spoke to me and thought were interesting. And from a macro level, it seems that the industry is all kind of moving in, a, in the same direction in terms of just, you know, more insight, more transparency, more opportunity, more awareness. Yeah, it seems like every day we hear about a new, what is it, new person who has half of their followers are fake or a new report that says there's a one billion fraud problem in the influencer space, which we've been talking about for, what, two years now? Yeah, I mean... You've been talking about two years. I've been... Later. You know, it, it's just because it's the it's how education is continuing to transform. You know, in the beginning, it was all about access, right? Like, wow, these influencers, these creators, how can we access them? How can we execute them? And then it became about, okay, great. Now we know how to access, we know how to execute. How can we optimize, right? Now, that's when you saw an proliferation of platforms that focused on um, the, the, the actual execution of working with talent. Now we're kind of reaching an area of performance and, um, and questions of, what am I getting out of this? Which is really forcing marketers to get educated and really understand what it is they're, they're executing and selling because if you can't bring results, then what are you actually doing? I'll leave it at that. Yeah, that's, I think that's a good, <laughs> good way to end it. So thanks again, Andrew, for having us. He curates it every week, the Influence Weekly newsletter. This is the Talking Points podcast associated with it. My name is Brian Ritz. Jonathan Shanti. And we're representing InfluencerDB. So thanks for having us. Many thanks.